Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. This is the market report for the week commencing the 3rd of February. Um, Andrew's away. He's in Dublin as we speak. I think he's actually in, um, in the airport waiting to come over. Uh, so you've got me this week. So where do I start? Monday was possibly one of the, the more volatile days that we've had for quite a long period of time. It was the first market's reaction to the coronavirus. It's There's still a lot of news to come on this and, and we'll interested to see how far we hope it won't spread very far. Um, today, as we're speaking, there's 10,000 cases and 213 deaths. And this morning, being Friday, uh, we're, there are now two reported cases in the UK. There was, this did create a lot of nerves around the market. Um, there was a general commodities sell-off. Um, the energy markets specifically had the biggest hit. Uh, crude oil over the uh, the course of three days has, has gone down 10%, roughly. Markets are nervous. This may be overdone. I, I think it's um, a bit of a sort of knee-jerk reaction. Um, there's still a lot of news to um, digest to see what this does actually mean to the global demand scenarios. Um, yes, it may be overdone, but this is what markets do, so you can't can't ignore it. This has impacted all commodities. It's impacted wheat, to an extent, it's impacted the barley's, and quite significantly rapeseed. But I'll just I'll just come onto those and cover them independently. So if I uh, I'll start with um, old crop wheat. It's been unfortunately knocked off its perch of the good value that was being bid of about 150 in in Norfolk. We're still a believer that the old crop is a sell for a few growers for farmers. Um, there is still a big surplus. It's not moving. There's very few sort of tail end bids in the market. And there's, I'm sure sort of merchants have got um, their tail end books to sort out. So I think it's going to be limited bidding tail end of the year. It still doesn't stack up to carry the old crop. The, the basis against the new crop doesn't doesn't work. So, yeah, all in all, I think it feels overvalued against the new crop. And it's showing a few cracks where this goes to, yeah, we, we think. If, if anyone's got anything left, I'd be very tempted to uh, to tidy up and, and get it done. I mean, the, the factor that would argue against this is whether or not the new crop has got real steam in it to push on. And if that is the case, then there will be a little bit of um, follow-through on the old, but I think it'd be very limited against any new crop rallies. So then moving on to new, unfortunately, we again, we have slipped, again, going back to Norfolk, Norfolk basis, we're, we're trading about 155x, uh, maybe a bit firmer than that, depending on people's appetite for, for wanting to buy X-Farm grain. Um, we have seen a slightly fairer weather forecast, particularly locally, um, and there has been a bit of a land um, land work has has occurred. We've seen several several drills out, and people are, are getting on with it, which is positive. I've got to say, unfortunately, from conversations, it's not the same for the rest of the country. But it's bit by bit there is is more wheat going in the ground, which is is adding to the sentiment and, and dragging it slightly lower. 
the the other thing is I've got to say on a, on a global yes, there's the coronavirus which is um, really making markets nervous. But in terms of the fundamentals of the wheat market, there's very little fresh bullish news, and, and like people say, bullish markets need feeding. So um, a bit quiet on that front, and and as a result, we're seeing a bit of a retracement. Long term, I'm I'm not getting unfriendly to wheat, but yeah, short term sell off. So moving on, barley. Maybe the spring barley, this might be clutching onto a straw, but maybe the spring barley area is slightly reduced with some of this late wheat planting going on. There's certainly lots of growers that are um, being encouraged by agronomists, probably even comments and and conversations with merchants to continue to plant wheat. Um, The spring barley values are are still good discounts to what um, harvest wheat prices are, so I I can really see why a grower would want to continue and, and grow wheat. So maybe that's offering a little bit of support on the uh, new crop spring barley front. We'll have to have to see. Um, feed barley is still not a huge amount to say, making values in the region of about 125. Interesting to see what the balance will be till end of the year, but I can't see any significant movement with the, uh, the old crop feed barley market. So lastly, uh, rapeseed. Rapeseed going back to the corona story coronavirus story has seen the most significant impact uh, the brent crude market went down 10 percent palm oil got dragged down with it and again 10 percent has had its most volatile period i think in 10 years as it was reported the other day um and it has dragged rapeseed lower uh, it i always thought i was a believer that 400 euros on the may futures was going to be support but it's it fairly comfortably um smashed through that and has has looked weak. The uh, the palm oil story, which is definitely relevant, uh, the uh, Malaysia and India have um, fallen out over tariffs. As a result, India, who are large importers of palm, have said that they're now out the market and they're looking for other origins. So again, that that's added a bit of bit of fuel on the fire in terms of dragging the market lower, which certainly hasn't helped um, oil crop values. So there, where does that leave us value-wise? Old crop would making certainly come off the lows quite significantly, but 320. New crop values for harvest in the region with 310. Yes, it has had a significant sell-off, but the EU fund- fundamentals on both old and new crop are still very tight. So I do see the downside being limited. So I think bravely hold uh, hold the line on that. I think there will be better days to come. So I think that's it, short and sharp, and we'll be back with Andrew next week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If you're enjoying the Doing Grain podcast and want to see it go from strength to strength, then please do give us a five-star rating and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. Also, do recommend us to friends and family and share the podcast on social media so everyone hears about it. If you want to sponsor the podcast, we offer very competitive rates. Just get in touch with hello at tinshedproductions.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So this morning I've got with me Lindy Blanchard from AF, or as I like to, it's a bit old school, like to refer to you sometimes as Anglia Farmers, and I probably shoot me for that Many one. Many people still do, so don't worry. <laughs> the, the, the well-known brand as it is in Norfolk. So thanks for coming in, it's nice to see you. And we've got Ben, our very own Ben. 
Happy Brexit Day, Ian. I thought we'd drawn a line through that, Ben. I thought that was done there. So can you let us know, for the listeners, a bit about your role? What is so your head of crop production with AF? What's that generally involve? Yeah, so I head up crop production for AF. So that means that within my department, there's crop protection, seed and fertiliser. So all the core inputs for our members. Mm. And really what we do is make sure that we procure on behalf of our farmers, deliver value and service back to their businesses. That's quite a wide net, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, it is. So can you tell us a bit about, well, how did you come to be part of AF and your history within the trade and your sort of past experiences, where have you come from, really? So I've worked in the crop protection industry for over 10 years, and my background is I actually am from Lincolnshire. Okay. So I started off working for Walmarsh Producers, who are a buying group in Lincolnshire. Worked there for five years, gained lots of experience. From there, I went to Mastock, who are now Agri. Okay. Yeah, of course, I was yeah. a commercial manager for the East Midlands region. Again, lots of experience, mm. as well as doing on-farm agronomy. Okay. Then I actually worked at DuPont, who are an R&D manufacturer. I was a national account manager, um, as well as having a technical role in the East region. Mm. So I've had so much experience and background that have really, really helped me in my You're role with the AF group. You're in a good place to be where you are now, I'm sure, with all yeah, that experience. Very much so. uh, yeah. yeah, very much so. And so your background, you said you've got a history within agronomy then, so were you out sort of walking the fields at any point? Yeah, so as well as having a commercial role, I did do some on-farm agronomy as well, which is nice because to have that commercial understanding, you also have to have that technical background as well. So yeah, I enjoy both, to be honest. In terms of your business structure then with AF then, your, so you've got your seeds for sprays, where, where would you say you're most weighted? Is the ag chems, is that quite a major part of what you do it is very much so um so they're all core inputs for our members but we're about 105 million pound department and crop protection would be about 60 million of that Mm. so it would be the larger proportion and to now give your af sort of sales pitch what do you what do you do for your growers you're really there as a core buying group aren't you really to save them or shave money where you can Yeah, absolutely. So we have 3,500 members across the whole of the UK. And ultimately what we do is use our collective purchasing power to work with the supply chain to negotiate terms on behalf of our members. Um, As well as that, we do all the back office administration for our farmers. So not only do they get the value we deliver in terms of the savings, they also get the time-saving benefits of not having to do all their administration. Okay, and, and within your three years and the crop protection chemicals, sprays that you're, you're selling, what are these European changes like with all the changes in legislation, chemicals being dropped? You know, How's that affecting your business? There's no doubt that it's going to be really challenging for UK agriculture over the next 18 months plus, not just because of the revocations, but obviously the recent weather and the impacts of that as well. Specifically with regards to the revocations, um, We've seen a number of of revocations. We probably get a new revocation notification through every couple of weeks. And in certain crop sectors, it's having a huge impact. So we mainly tend to think that, you know, the big impacts are in the cereal market. But actually, a lot of the speciality growers, they have a limited portfolio of crop protection products that they actually can use anyway. And that pool is becoming smaller and smaller. So the challenges are huge and they will have to look for alternative solutions. So things like longer rotations perhaps um, biological products even and are you as a group involved in any of that r&d in these new applications 
So we don't specifically get involved in trials or R&D ourselves, but we do work really, really closely with all the people in the supply chain. So we will work closely with R&D companies, understanding what they've got coming through their pipeline, what the portfolio is, what the timelines are for that. And we also do some trials at Honningham Thought Farm in conjunction with some of the manufacturers that we work with, like Bear Crop Science, for example. Okay, interesting. Do you, uh, what about the um, the big bodies, AHDB, NFU, DEFRA? Are you sort of on panels with them to help or assist UK agriculture, really, with the pressures that they're under? We've not specifically got involved with those organisations, but we have done some lobbying ourselves. So we have actually written to government recently with the likes of the chlorothalonil revocation to explain the implications for growers in the UK, what that means. So we do try to be that representative voice on this behalf of our members. awful to admit, but I'm not aware of that one. Chlorothalonil is an active that had previously been around for many, many years. It's what we call a multi-site active, and it's very, very important in the management of septoria, which is a key okay. winter wheat disease. Yeah, of course. Um, it's been really, really important because we do have resistance with that particular disease. Um, with it being a multi-site active, it's been really valuable in the programme for protecting the crop and also avoiding resistance problems. I've learned something today. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, in terms of these biological, more, uh, more natural sprays that are being looked at, yeah. are there a lot in the pipeline? Is everyone really focused on this? So biologicals are already used in some sectors. So in the horticultural, glasshouse sector, they already use biologicals. They are more costly. So mm. in the speciality crop sector, they've been able to look at these alternative options and they've also been driven to do that because they've not had the crop protection actives in their portfolio to be able to manage some of the pest weeds, diseases, etc., without okay. looking at those options. So in answer to your question, they do exist already. But they will become more and more. And yes, most of the key R&D manufacturers are now looking at biological solutions for the future. Sorry, Linda, can you just let me... What, what is a biological then? Um, so a biological is a crop protection solution from a naturally occurring source. So it may be, for example, um, we sell uh, nematodes, which actually control other pests in certain um, situations. So, for example... Uh, in a glasshouse situation, they may use nematodes to control other pests because they are natural predators. Okay. And a nematode is? Um, a nematode's a little bit like a worm uh, <laughs> in the soil profile. So there are actually millions of um, different species of nematodes in the soil okay. that naturally occur. Okay, right. Um, I mean, it's interesting you brought up the uh, point of cost. Obviously, these biologicals are more expensive. Yeah. This is interesting because certainly in our industry, um, so we've seen farmers being restricted in what they can spray and use on crops. Yeah. All of a sudden, the alternative is going to be more expensive. And yet, there seems to be a disconnect where crops can come in from other parts of the world that have no restrictions. I mean, even though it's better than I would, but oilseed rape from Ukraine, I mean, these guys are spraying everything and anything. And it's just coming into the UK and no one's really bothering so i mean do you think this this cost profile of these biologicals is, is it going to be a lot greater uh, so there's a few things there firstly you're quite right it's not a level playing field in the uk and it's actually very unfair for uk growers mm. and one example of that that you've given there is all seed rape so historically we had a seed treatment a neonicotinoid insecticide seed treatment that was 
able to contribute to the control of a pest called cabbage stem flea beetle. Mm-hmm. Cabbage stem flea beetle um, is a, a quite a, an aggressive pest to the oilseed rape crop and will actually eat the, the crop at a very early stage. And you can get crop losses through this pest. We no longer have neonicotinoids in the UK because we've had a, a revocation, so it's been withdrawn. But other countries are able to use that, even within Europe, because they've been able to apply for a dispensation. They have been given authorization to use this particular seed treatment, even so, though the so, UK is not able to. Okay, so how come we as the UK didn't apply for a dispensation? We did, but it's not been granted to UK growers. So UK growers this year, this autumn, have had significant challenges with this pest. So we've not had the seed treatment available for the last couple of years, and the pest population has significantly increased, to the point that we've got growers in Norfolk that are pulling up 30% of their winter all-seed rape area because of pest pressure. So it really isn't a level playing field. It's it's an absolute shocker, rapeseed at the moment. It's horrible looking around and seeing the holes in fields. Just moving on, on, still on the ag chemist, but glyphosate. The the French are introducing a ban for for glyphosate. I'm sure it's probably in the pipeline for us, I'd guess. There's a lot of pressure, more and more pressure. I mean, do you think with Brexit occurring, will that change our direction potentially? So glyphosate is obviously a really key active for growers in the UK. Um, There are some systems that growers use that rely on glyphosate for weed control. And without glyphosate, then effectively they won't be able to operate the systems they've been operating on their farms. In terms of whether Brexit will help, we would hope so. So CRD in the UK is the authorisation organisation and it will now be independent from Europe and it will be able to make independent decisions going forward. So we would hope that that means that they'll look more favourably on how UK farmers you know, need glyphosate and use that active. There's still probably a danger that we'll be sort of like sheep and follow the Europeans anyway, I, I suppose. Well, the potential challenge is, of course, we'll want to sell into a European market. So if we're using glyphosate in the UK and potentially France and Germany are not using glyphosate, how will that affect UK farmers in terms of exports? Yeah, these are really fundamental questions. One of these challenges that certainly we're facing is, you know, the potential danger of cheap imported cereal products uh, that have been treated with chemicals that UK farmers aren't allowed to use. I mean, it's mind blowing, really. Yeah, very much so. But one of the main challenges we face in agriculture is the huge disconnect between food production and food consumption. A lot of the public are not aware of how food is actually produced or where their food's coming from. Mm. I think until that changes, until there's a public perception change, then as a country, we're quite happy to bring in cheap available food as long as there's cheap available food on the shelf at the supermarket. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a valid point. And certainly I think with the American trade deal on the table, um, yeah, what the government does next is entirely up to them. Whether they throw a UK agriculture under the bus, we don't know. Certainly the fishing industry is um, coming under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I have to say that NFU have been fantastic in terms of the work they've been doing, particularly Minette Batters. She's really been speaking up for British agriculture, British farming, and the challenges that we will face if we allow you know, the trade deal in America to bring in Mm. chlorinated chicken, for example. So she really has been standing up and and voicing on behalf of British farmers. I mean, a a bit of a strange one, but I saw a report of uh, weeds and things being killed with electricity and what was it? What was there was another, you know, is that, are these feasible things? Is that? 
Yeah, they genuinely are, actually. So there are um, farms in the UK already using some of these techniques. Okay. So um, there's a, a, an electricity machine that literally zaps the weeds, but there's also a burning machine that will burn the weeds. Um, and it's amazing technology. Extremely precise. Um, you would think that there's some concern about actually targeting the crop instead of the weed, but they're very, very precise and extremely good. The challenge, again, is, is the cost of these sorts of technologies and bringing them into your farming programme and being able to afford to do that. Interesting. They both certainly take your organic box, don't they, Ben? Those two. <laughs> um, we're talking about uh, rapeseed and there's vast areas being pulled up and unfortunately growers are designed to pull the plug and I think there'll be a very limited area planted this sort of summer or autumn. What about alternative cropping? So I'm sure that probably comes under your umbrella again. Are you putting your time into looking at niche crops and other alternatives, Let's, for example, maybe soybeans. Um, I'm slightly cynical of soybeans in the UK, but I mean, yeah. everyone is looking for a different alternative. Have you guys got any, uh, what's the golden egg? Um, I don't think we've got any golden solution. We are certainly getting more demand and more inquiries around niche crops, understandably, because, as you say, growers need to have three crops in the rotation because of the three-crop rule. And if they can't plant all seed rape because of pest pressure, then they have to look at alternatives in the rotation. The problem is uh, it's the end market demand. So if everybody goes into soya, which is actually quite difficult to grow in the UK anyway, (laughs) then is there an end market that wants all this soya from the Mm. UK? Um, And it's really difficult. There's no magic solution as to what crops growers should move into in the UK. It certainly feels like that with the spring planting, sort of everyone's with a limited amount of winters drilled around the country. Everyone's hitting the spring market and I'm sure there's going to be saturation come harvest. So. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, the challenges in the UK over the next 18 months are huge. Um, I mean, I've been up to Lincolnshire recently, and there's only about 13% of winter cropping actually planted in Lincolnshire. There's vast areas of stubble, so they've not been able to get into fields since harvest because we've just had continued rain from, I think it was the 24th of September when it started, and it's just not stopped since. Uh, I think in Norfolk we have been slightly fortunate in that respect, and it's, it's there's still a lot to go in, And um, but, yeah, we're slightly thankful for it yeah we are a lot more fortunate although i was speaking to a group of agronomists recently who are east anglia based and even though the conditions are much better in our area they've still only got 60 percent of their winter crops planted what's the future then lindy on on certainly your crop protection area where do you see do you see do you see everything going biological or do you still see a mix of man-made chemicals in there do you think man-made chemicals might get better less harmful I mean, is it, uh, what are your thoughts on that? So there will definitely be a mixture, but it's worth just pointing out that there's a really stringent regulatory process already in place around crop protection products. So crop protection actives that are bought to the market are only bought to the market if they're um, environmentally safe, um, safe for the operator, and actually have an efficacy, so they, they do their purpose. So the, the products that we have in the marketplace are, are safe, you know, both to the environment and the consumer as well. So there'll be a mixture of both. So we will continue to see crop protection actives available in the marketplace mm-hmm. and they need to be available in order for farmers in the UK to be able to produce crops that are economically viable, that mm-hmm. they can compete with the worldwide market. Um, it's not realistic to think that we can all go completely organic and continue to feed the growing population. It's just not feasible. Um, so there will be a mixture. In terms of what I think we can deliver to farmers in the future, it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be really challenging. And by working with a purchasing group, I really think that growers will get value 
They need to look at their um, their variable costs across farm. And one way of doing that is joining a purchasing group, not just AF, there are others in the UK, but being part of that purchasing group, utilising their collective buying power and actually buying your inputs at the best price you possibly can. That's really got to be the way forward. Yeah, and I guess you're giving growers quite a bit of flexibility as well, as well as good advice on, you know, yes, that works, that doesn't work, that would be good. Yeah, very much so. Um, There are 11 people in the crop production team at AF, and we've got over 40 years of experience in crop protection in particular. So, yeah, there's a huge amount of expertise that growers can tap into by working with the AF group. So um, we did warn you, I think you've listened to a few, that we do try a beer. This week we've got, I can't even work out what it is, Association Indian Parallel. It's from the most western area in the UK, Ian, the Scilly Isles. Um, We've had mixed reports on this one, so we're going to see how it goes. It's well opened, here we go. The association was the flagship of the British fleet and struck the Gillstone Ledge in 1707 and sank within three minutes. There we go, let's see if Ian can sink this in three minutes. (laughs) Probably. Ooh, uh, over to you, Webby. (laughs) Joe, actually, some of the history, Joe brought this in thinking, I think he's tried it before in the past, and it was, um, I wouldn't say he used the word howler, but I'm starting to feel while he, or well, starting to see why he brought it in, because it's not the nicest flavoured beer, is it? Well, Lindy, what do you think? Because obviously men's taste buds are horrendous, but, I mean, yeah, it's got a, I don't know. It leaves a bit of an aftertaste, I'll be mm, honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought citrus, but now I'm not so sure. How do you, um, come back to some of the serious stuff, but your relationship with some of the, the ag chems is there's some mega players in that industry. How do you find your relationship with them? Is it, um, are they good to deal with? Can they be difficult? Do you get any ground with them at all? We have a really good relationships with the suppliers. We are completely transactional, so we don't hold any stock. So in order for us to deliver the service and value to our members, we have to have strong supply chain relationships. Three years ago, it's fair to say that we, we didn't have those strong relationships with our suppliers, but we have changed how we view our suppliers that we work with. So our suppliers are now viewed as strategic partners to our business, which means that we actually have a collaborative relationship for mutual value. If you work with people and you have those good relationships, it means that then you can deliver more back to your farmers. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. completely agree. So in um, current times, sustainability really is a big buzzword, isn't it? Are you, as, as a group AF, what's your take? What are, what are you doing in that sort of movement at the moment? Yeah, so there's no doubt that sustainability and the environment are going to be really key going forward. Having said that, a lot of our farmers are already doing huge amounts for the environment and are actually very, very passionate about that. In a few weeks' time, we've actually got a soil health event at Holcomb Estates with James Beamish, who's the farm manager. And anyone who knows Holcomb Estates, they've been very, very passionate about environmental management and soil health for many, many years. Mm. So this is a great event for others to gain experience and learn from what they've actually implemented on their farm. So is that is that a, a turn-up event? Is that, or do you have to be booked in through you guys, is it? It is for our members. Yeah. Um, so our members within the area will all receive an invitation to attend the event and they just let us know and they can come along. If there are any non-members listening who would really like to attend, then please do get in touch with us. I'm sure we can make an allowance. So uh, what, what do you mean there by soil health? What's the real focus on it? So soil health is really about 
caring for our soils, looking after our soils for the long term. It's fair to say in the past it's not been a key area of focus, but soil health is all about soil structure, the profile of your soil, um, worms, which are a really key indicator of soil health, organic matter within your soil, and just really thinking about the whole management of your soil. It reminds me of a product Ben was looking at. We were looking at uh, a yeast-based product, weren't we, for uh, soil health. It was half referred to as a snake oil, I think, at the time. Yeah, I mean, the soil health, I mean, we were looking at things like humic acid, you know, humus is naturally in the soil. Yeah. Guys in Canada use this type of stuff all the time. It increases the humus content. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been talking to some farmers over there about these products and They swear by them, but as you say, efficacy is another angle. There are genuinely some good products out there. There are, Um, and growers have found value from using them. You want to make sure that you you have the trials information behind those products Mm. to support why you would use them. Yeah, no, very true. So, Lindy, just just before you go, just to kind of like wrap this up, you talked earlier about returning value. Can you give us a bit more on that? In terms of returning value to our members, just to give you an example, in spring 2019, we actually returned over a million pound of crop protection rebates to our members. That's a good performance. You must be pleased. It is really good, and we're really proud to be able to do that. I mean, many of our growers have seen you know significant returns, which makes a big difference to their businesses. I bet the farmers love the check at the end. Yeah, a happy farmer, brilliant. Well, Lindy, thank we you like very much. Happy m- farmers. Thank you very much for coming in. That's uh, that's been really interesting. Have a chat with you. No, thank you for having me. It's really nice to meet everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.